Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm uh, so glad to be joined in studio by Dr. Mark Muska. We're going to have the whole hour together. I'm looking forward to that. We have uh, what we call Ask the Professor. So what you do is send me a question. You can call and get on the program and speak to Mark yourself, 877-933-2484. Or if you're a little on the shy side, you can send a text to the same number, 877 933 2484, or you can email me if you like the old-fashioned email system. That's bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. So we love the questions, and if you have uh, something you've struggled with in God's Word, maybe you have read something recently that's left you confused, or maybe you've had a, a, a conversation with somebody, you got into a discussion, and you felt like you weren't properly equipped to answer a question or stay in the debate or whatever it was, and now you want some further clarification, get that question over to me. We'll get it to Mark, and we'll get it uh, worked on 877-933-2484. Be back in a minute. I'm a regular listener and supporter. We love your show. You're doing a good job. And I try to listen every day. So God bless you. Thanks again. God bless you. Share your story of how Faith Radio has impacted your life when you call the toll-free Faith Line at 877-93-FAITH. Leave a message anytime at 877-933-2484. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for making us your radio home. Faith Radio. It's always, whenever I have a chance, I'm always checking out your first on the dial for me. I listen to it every day, all day long. It's the only station in my car, and it's a real blessing in my life. It's a part of my every day. It's just really increased my faith and knowledge of Jesus and how to live my life each day. It's a blessing. Highlighting real hope every day. Faith Radio. It is time for ask, <laughs> ask the professor. Lunging for the radios. They're lunging for the radios right now. Singing. Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. He needs no introduction because I think he's already started talking before I introduced him. Mm-hmm. Hey, Marky Mark. Good afternoon. What a day. This oh, is one of I, these remote mic days, baby. We should be outside. Yes, it is retractable roof. Is in what Minnesota, I say. we get about four days like this. I know. <laughs> and so, what are we doing in here? I pitched retractable roof to the board of directors. They said, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. So, but it makes sense because this is one of those great days. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, thanks for being here. Sure. Did you bike over? Nope. 
I uh, drove over today. Okay. I usually bike, but I've got a thing for dinner after this, and so okay. i got to dash home and get my wife. Nice, nice. Well, thank you for being here. Let's uh, uh, dig in to a passage sure. that comes out of Acts yeah. chapter 2, verse 38. Yep. Now, I think there's a narrative in today's evangelical language that says uh, you need to invite Christ into your life. Mm-hmm. Or ask Jesus into your ask heart. Ask Jesus into your heart. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Re- repent of your sins yep. and, and invite Jesus into your heart. And mm-hmm. in this verse, it's uh, believe and be baptized. Yep. So let's took let's take uh, Acts two and talk about how it compares to the language you use today. Yeah. Well, this uh, just for people who aren't familiar with it, this is where the church is born that uh, Jesus told the apostles to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. He said that just before he ascended in Acts chapter 1, and here it comes. Uh, Sometimes uh, we call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit now takes up uh, residence within the life of the Christian, so that you and me too, Bill, not just these apostles, but everyone who believes in the gospel and in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit now living uh, within our bodies. Paul tells us that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 6.19. And so Peter's given a barn burner of a gospel presentation here in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of people in town. Uh, Sometimes people don't realize, Bill, the Feast of Pentecost is an Old Testament feast for the Jews. It was one of the three times a year that a believing Jew was uh, commanded to come to Jerusalem for the feast. And so Jerusalem's packed with people that are are here for uh, for the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, 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 Peter gives this message, and uh, toward the end of it here, in Acts 2.38, he, he says this, and, uh, well, he, he just got done in verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you, whom you crucified. And then Luke says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? That's always a really cool moment, isn't it? When mm-hmm. somebody is open, they've been convicted, and they want to know what do they have to do. And then the verse you mentioned, this is what Peter says in response. Peter said to them, Repent, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is what he says here. Now, we have to recognize in today's language, sometimes we use different words for this, but that's okay because we want to be clear with that. If you do a survey through the scriptures, Bill, when the gospel is talked about, it isn't always the same little thing. We get real formulistic here as far as exactly what the gospel is and what we must do uh, to uh, uh, follow Christ and to uh, become a Christian. Uh, Peter himself in Acts 10 is talking to another audience here at Cornelius's home, and listen to what he says to them. Uh, what uh, what happens here? It's in uh, uh, Acts 2 or Acts 10. I'm sorry, and in verse 43, this is what Peter says of him of Jesus. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And then that's all the farther Peter gets. The next verse says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. But notice here, he doesn't use repent. He says, believe. And he doesn't say anything about baptism. Mm -hmm. So 
that tells me that there is no one formula prayer that kazam, just like magic, causes us to be born again and uh, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Then you can go to uh, Romans 10, and Paul talks about uh, what people must do to be saved. And uh, these are very famous verses here, Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. And Paul says here in verse 13, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? And so there he just says, Believe in Jesus. Uh, So what this, this is really important, Bill, that what we have to do is look at these passages in the Scripture and put them together Mm -hmm. to form a clear, direct, coherent teaching as far as what is the response that the Bible demands to the gospel proclamation, to the gospel message. The gospel is Jesus Christ died to provide forgiveness of sin for you, for me, for everybody. Now, what do people have to do in order to receive that? And we use words like repent and believe and call upon and uh, this type of thing. Uh, I think the clearest thing that we can say, Bill, is we have to depend on Jesus that he claimed to provide forgiveness of sins through his death in our place, and we have to depend on that, that it really does forgive us and that we have peace with God now and that we've received eternal life. That is the crux of that. But notice that doesn't come from any specific Bible verse there. Mm -hmm. I have put that together. In fact, I'm a professor of theology, and that is the task of theology, is to take this input from the Bible wherever we can find it about salvation and put it together in a clear, coherent teaching. And so that it's necessary here. If we just go on Acts 2.38 or Acts 10.43-45 or something like that, we, we, might, uh, we might be unclear and we might even uh, mislead people as far as what they must do. Oh, all I have to do is call on the name of Jesus to be saved. Jesus! Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> am I saved now? Mm-hmm. No. It's an expression that's used for this dependency upon Jesus to forgive our sins. So, I don't know. Is that making sense? It makes a ton of sense. Okay. I really, really appreciate the response, the, your, your answer to this, Mark. But as I, as I go back to Acts 2, 38 one more time, and I, and I see that Peter replied, repent and be baptized, mm-hmm. every one of you. Yep. So, did everyone get, did everyone repent and get baptized? I mean, of course, it there's some says people. thousands did that day. Mm-hmm. Now, did every single person there? I doubt it, yeah. because there are probably some hard-hearted people there. Rarely does everybody right. r- respond. But, uh, and they uh, presumably were baptized here after this as a sign of that new belief in, mm-hmm. in Jesus. So uh, many of these people, I suspect, had been baptized by John the Baptist, and his baptism was the proclamation, uh, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is here. And here it comes with Jesus. When the king comes, here comes the kingdom. And so they had been baptized by John, and now they are baptized in the name of Jesus rather than just John's baptism. Remember in Acts 19, Paul runs across 12 guys in Ephesus who'd been baptized into John's baptism, but they hadn't even heard about Jesus. And so Paul has to, <laughs> Paul has to bring them up to speed with who Jesus was, whom John predicted, mm-hmm. and then they all believe and they get baptized there and they, they go on uh, to follow Christ. So. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take questions, so let us know what they are. 877-933-2484. You can speak to Mark on the show, or you can send a text to that same number. I'll give it again, 
888-212-2484, or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll take a short break and be right back. If you just joined us, Dr. Mark Musk is in studio. We're taking uh, questions of any kind. You let us know what they are, we'll, we'll tackle them. I will direct your question to the proper person in the studio, and tens, 10 times out of 10, it's going to be Mark, just so you know. All right. Uh, you know, we brought up baptism in the last segment right before break, and uh, my first uh, question is, why do Lutherans believe and practice infant baptism before one believes? Yeah. That's a good question. Uh, baptism, I was wondering if, if things might uh, generate a little bit with baptism, because yeah. this is one of the topics in the Christian faith that there's a lot of different convictions among people who love the Lord and believe the Bible. And uh, we have to respect that, that they're all trying to do justice to what the Scripture says and to uh, be obedient to it. And so uh, there are traditions of uh, Lutherans, Roman Catholics, uh, Episcopalians, uh, Anglicans, uh, they will baptize uh, babies and, uh, uh, and very young people. And uh, part of their teaching is, is that the Holy Spirit then takes up residence and indwells that child from a very early age, if they're seven, eight days old or two years old or something like that, mm-hmm. that the Spirit takes up residence within them, uh, even though they haven't been able to make a profession of faith themselves. In most of these traditions, they will have either a sponsor or a godparent mm-hmm. who will declare faith in Jesus on behalf of the baby until that child grows several years and ab- is able to put their faith in the gospel themselves. Almost all these traditions, Bill, that baptize babies, they also will have, uh, they urge it, they virtually require it that those children then several years later, usually during middle school, they will go through a confirmation process. And confirmation is where they confirm the faith in the gospel that they have now Mm -hmm. that was declared for them by sponsors when they were just a little squirt and they couldn't put their faith in the Bible or the gospel because they were just too small. And so I don't know of a single tradition that would baptize infants that wouldn't follow that up with some sort of confirmation process for that child. So we may argue like crazy about baptism. There's about five different questions that we can get all red in the face and yell at each other if we want to. I don't know how important it is because I'm with a Lutheran believer every day of the week. If they believe that you must put your faith and trust and dependence in Jesus and his death for the forgiveness of sins. That's the, that's the ringer that we have to agree on. And then all the rest of that stuff, we can have our differences. And I don't think that the, the pillars of heaven are shaking or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. Let's uh, welcome Kevin uh, from Roseville to the program. You sure. have a question for Mark. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, what a great uh, teaching and explanation on this salvation that you did there. I'm kind of learning that myself. In fact, I have a question on something that you just mentioned. Sure. And uh, I happen to be quoting this uh, scripture, Acts 2.38, to someone in my church when Uh we were talking about salvation. And I said, well, you see here, uh, repentance takes place. And uh, the person I was talking to said, well, you know, I never read about repentance the book of John. It only says believe. Yep. 
And they also told me that since Peter was talking to the Jews, repentance is for the Jews. Uh, Gentiles are never asked to repent. So I didn't have an answer for that. And uh, I'm kind of learning about these things for salvation, so I'm better equipped to witness to people. Sure. And I, I love that, Kevin. The more we can sharpen our skills to be able to explain the message of the gospel clearly, uh, more power to us. Uh, I think we rely on the Holy Spirit to convict people and to change them internally, but we have the responsibility to be as clear as we can with the gospel. And so uh, I th- my, my short answer, Kevin, to this is that uh, I think these are speculative types of questions about the difference between the proclamation to the Jews versus the Gentiles and, and uh, never mentioned in the book of John. If gospel of John was the only gospel we had, maybe we could make a case, but there's other places where we can read about repentance. And so once again, it, what I was talking about earlier, the, the task of theology is to bring together all these passages and form a coherent teaching that doesn't overemphasize one passage over others, but doesn't also ignore passages over others, that we have to look at them all. And so the idea of repentance fits with faith or trust or belief uh, like hand in glove. A lot of theologians will talk about uh, faith and repentance are two sides to the same coin. They both describe the response that we give to the gospel proclamation. When we hear the gospel we put our trust in it and depend on it being true, that Jesus is good for it, to his word. And at the same time, we also repent because we realize we're sinners and this is hateful to God. And so we make, uh, we make a decision to turn away from that sin. The word repent literally means to change your mind about something. And so what once we would excuse and make excuses for and rationalize when it comes to sin, now we realize it's wrong. It's hateful to God, and to the best of my ability, through the power God supplies me, I'm going to leave it behind. I like to say to people, now, I've just adopted this, Kevin, in the last year or so. Even old Bible professors learn some things every once in a (laughs) while. But I really like the idea that we come to Jesus and to the gospel on his terms, not on our terms that we just don't come and say, well, I'm going to be a Christian, but I'm also going to do this, and I'm also not going to do that. No, uh, this is a surrender to him on his terms, and we repent in the sense that we we make this commitment to leave our former life behind with all of the gunk that was involved with that. So I don't think that you can make a persuasive case to say somehow that repentance isn't part of the message for everybody. Okay. Does that so make that sense? Is, that is very helpful to someone like me. Okay. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Kevin, you, I'm so glad we were helpful to you. You know what, Kevin? Can we pray for you right now? Because I just love it when I hear people saying they're looking to be able to share their faith with people. And we, you're, we need to multiply you, too. Can we take you to the copy machine and make a few hundred copies <laughs> and, and turn you out? I'm, I'm serious. Let's pray for you, okay? I pray for Kevin right now, yeah. Lord, that you would bless him with a clear understanding and ability to communicate the gospel. And Lord, lead them across the path of people that you've prepared, that are open, and that desire to be right with you. We trust you, Lord, to make those appointments and those connections. So help him to keep his eyes and ears open and to walk through those doors of opportunity when he gets them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to have you on the show. And just know Mark's never wanted to take me to the copying machine. 
Oh, I have. Have you? Oh, for uh, fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's a question. In let's go to uh, math Matthew chapter twenty six, Mark, okay. and in verse thirty three. Peter says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Yeah, isn't that great? We can't get out of that chapter with him bailing. Yeah. Uh, what hat Was this an identity issue? What is going on with him that he can't hold it throughout the rest of the chapter? Oh, I, I, I really feel for Peter. You know, he, I, I see him as that 70-pound... St. Bernard dog walking <laughs> along next to Jesus where yeah. he's so committed to Christ. Uh-huh. He loves the Lord. He wants to do anything to please him. And so he hears this about people falling away and denying him. And he's just like, never, Lord. I, I love you. I just, you know, he. I, I think we have to give him some room there because he was still uh, growing. And when the pressure came, even this little servant girl, probably the lowest on the totem pole mm-hmm. in the high priest's household, asks him if he was following Jesus, says, no. I mean, he couldn't even stand up to her. She probably mm-hmm. weighed 80 pounds, you know, and he's a big fisherman, can't take it. I think that's why, though, Jesus, especially in John, I love it, at the end of the gospel there where Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times he says yes, and he says, feed my sheep, tend my flock. Three times he denied him. Three times he affirms his yeah. love for him. Mm-hmm. That's called rehabilitation. So, Beautiful. you know, 100% on with enthusiasm and maybe not quite so much with, you know, his actual maturity at that point. Yeah. So God bless Peter. I think he's just a great example for us. But, I mean, if, if we're, you know, if you say to me, I want to lose five pounds and I'm going to go running with you. And I go, okay, well, let's start in the morning. I will be there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I call you at five thirty, going. So let's get going. You go. Ah, I'm not. I don't maybe tomorrow. Do yeah. Yeah. Maybe the next day. Doesn't it have that little bit of a feel? Yeah. Like, how do you bail on him so yeah. soon? Twenty verses later, you're saying, yeah. I don't know the man. Yeah. And remember <laughs> the result of this all that we're told that Jesus or that Peter went out and wept bitterly. Oh, I know. I know. He knew he blew it. I know. Just had a listener say, I want to commend. Professor Mark, for the grace in which he answers the questions. Thank you. Isn't that nice? We all need it so bad, so we might as well dish it out a little bit, huh? Yeah, yeah. Let, let me know what your questions are. We've got uh, a whole hour with Mark, and we don't want to, uh, we want to get as much out of him as we can, so let us know what your questions are. You can call like Kevin did from Roseville and be on the show and speak to Mark, or you can uh, send me a text. It's the same number for both uh, call and text, and that number is 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Or you can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll get your questions on the show. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with Dr. Mark Muska in just a minute.
Thanks for listening today. We've got Dr. Mark Muska in the studio, and we're um, asked the professor, so let us know what your questions are. They're coming in fast and furious. So let me get to Deanna, who's calling in from Plymouth. Deanna, welcome to the show. Hi, Deanna. Hi, Bill. Hi. Hi, you guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have been reading recently in Romans, and it talks about how not all uh, Jews will be saved uh, because not everyone that's born into the line is saved. And then I'm reading along further in Romans 11. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul is talking about some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so all Israel will be saved, it says then. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your opinion is on that. Yeah, I mean, though you look at that, and at first, Ardiana, you say uh, Paul uh, didn't remember what he said two chapters earlier there. It sounds like they contradict each other. But he's making a couple points there, and again, uh, third time I've said this today, that the task of theology is to take verses like that and to be able to think about them and work through them to to be able to advocate what both of them say instead of just one over the other. In Romans 9 there, when he starts out, uh, he talks about uh, that these uh, Jews, he has grief for the Jews in Romans 9 who don't believe in Jesus as their Messiah, uh, that he says that... uh, Romans 9, 7, uh, he's talking about the Jews here, and he says, Nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. The children of the flesh are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. And he goes on here to talk about these Old Testament characters. So not all those Jews are going to be saved. Obviously, uh, from the record of Scripture, there were some that uh, opposed Jesus right to the, right to the end and uh, were not part of uh, the gospel and salvation. And then you went over to chapter 11 here, and he talks again how uh, jealous he is to see the the Jews saved. In fact, Paul even says to the extreme here, he says, I, I would wish I could be lost if that would mean they would be saved. He has such a burden for them that he, uh, he wants to see them saved. And now... Uh, Let's see here, uh, in verse 25, I think it was you're referencing, Romans eleven twenty-five. Paul says, I do not want you, brothers, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And I would say that has been going on for about 2,000 years now, since Paul spoke about this right up through 2019, that the the people of Jewish heritage, for the most part, have been resistant to the gospel of Jesus uh, Jesus Christ. There are some, uh, the remnant of Israel, who have come to faith in Jesus, and they make a lot of noise because they get really excited about that. But most of the Jews have not, so that those other than Jews may be saved. And then the verse you're saying, uh, in verse 26, though, he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. And the the best way I've been able to work that through, Deanna, is to say that all Israel will be saved in the sense that all of those who come to faith in Jesus, none of them will be left behind because God left some of them out. So that those who've come to faith in Jesus, and it appears from the way prophets talk about the end times, there's going to be a whole bunch of Jewish people that come to faith in Jesus as their Messiah toward the end of the age, that they all will be saved. The sum total will be accomplished of those who will be saved, and then the end will come. So 
Uh, I know that uh, explanation has some holes in it, uh, but it's it's uh, our effort to interpret these properly and to let them speak for themselves. And sometimes we can have real confidence in this, and sometimes we have to leave some questions unanswered. We just don't know exactly how to uh, to uh, uh, resolve all the questions that come out of that. I don't know. Does that make sense, Deanna? Uh, yeah, it actually made me think a little bit about the whole um, chosen and purpose, too. So you were saying that, you know, maybe all that were purposed, right. it shall be for them. Yeah, I think that's possible here, you know. But again, I, I, I'm open to correction. <laughs> and if I get to uh, be pure of Jesus and I got it wrong, I'll be more than willing to admit it. Hmm. Thank you. Thanks, Sure. Thanks, Deanna. All right, Mark, uh, flip your Bible open to chapter uh, 7 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, and then we're going to verses 21 through 23. And a listener is uh, wondering about how very hard it is to think of people that I love that may Mm -hmm. not be there and your thoughts on those verses. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure... um, Yeah, this is part of Jesus. uh, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, People have gathered to him. And uh, this uh, this is on uh, right off of the Sea of Galilee there in the northern part of Israel. I've stood on this place where we think that Jesus delivered this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, toward the end of it here, he's talking about the idea that uh, those who put their faith in God and believe Jesus as the Messiah and have put their trust in the gospel, they will live in in a way that's consistent with that. And so he uses the illustration of good trees and bad fruit and bad trees and good fruit to say uh, bad trees don't produce good fruit, they produce bad fruit, and good trees produce good fruit. So if I'm getting that right, Bill, we should be able to expect that people's lives will start to change for the better once they put their faith in Jesus and in the gospel. Now that rate of change may vary all over the place where some people just spring up like weeds and they just go from the first moment. And then others, it's a slower process, but that we should be able to see that. And now Jesus warns about this, though. In uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. In, in verse 19 of Matthew 7, Jesus says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And now here's the uh, verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So some of these gifts of the Spirit and miraculous things that can take place, uh, they're no substitute for a life that shows the character and the the uh, very nature of God being lived out in our lives. So I can I can understand somebody would be afraid about this, of seeing their family and friends are churchgoers, but are they really of being transformed by the work of God? I think it's a legitimate concern. I hope if you love them and care for them at all, you have that concern. I hope you have it about yourself to say, <laughs> am, I, am I following Christ here and being faithful to him? Or is it just a lot of hoo on Sunday with uh, uh, singing and praying and listening to sermons and all this kind of thing? So uh, those are terrific things, but they're very dangerous if that's all there is. If there isn't that true uh, faith and dependence on Jesus and that life transformation that's taking place. So I, I take Jesus' warning seriously there. I, I don't think we can just... Uh, we can just wash it away easily. Mm-hmm. Can you determine if you are bearing fruit? If not, why? 
Yeah, sometimes it's hard to yeah. see that because uh, we have to live in our own skin and we can't see it. Uh, oftentimes it will be other people that will be able to testify to that, to say, hey, you know, Mark, I, <laughs> those, that foul mouth language that used to be coming out of your mouth, it doesn't sound like that anymore. And it's like, really? Uh, I didn't even notice myself, I mean, that, that this was changing. So sometimes other people can see this. And in particular, Bill, sometimes people who haven't been around you for a while and have seen the growth, the, the change, because maybe you were off at school for nine months and they hadn't seen you. And wow, look at uh, this this child of mine, a parent will say to their college student, uh, look at the patience there. She, uh, she used to fly off the handle when I'd say something like that. And now she's responding much, much nicer. So uh, sometimes that testimony of others is in, very encouraging in that respect. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, there's tons of questions that are coming in, and they're all thoughtful ones, and not many of them are short. Okay, well, we've got to go four hours, I guess. Let's just get rid of the programming for so the rest of the day. So clear programming here. until yeah. 8 o'clock tonight. Yeah, and order, order in I, pizza. I couldn't go until 8 because yeah. I'm, 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 I'm so hungry right now. All right. Well, order I'm, in pizza. You can munch and, and listen. Well, then I, now, now all I want to do is order in pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That's okay. okay. <laughs> all right, here's a question. I'm going to read it quickly, so listen carefully. Speaking sure. to the word repentance and specifically its correlation to the books written to the Jews, isn't there a particular specific need for the Jews to repent from their system of dead works and to put their faith in Christ? Essentially, they're repenting from what they were placing their faith in, which is changing their mind, and then in turn placing their faith in God's sacrifice for them, Mm -hmm. specifically that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that's well put. I wouldn't say exclusively, though, but I'd say primarily that this was something because they had the scriptures, they had these prophecies about Messiah, and during most of Jesus' public ministry, they resisted him. And so there is a need for a significant change of mind and change of heart here. But I wouldn't say that that's exclusive to the Jews, that those who maybe never heard the scriptures at all and were far away from uh, the Judaism and the mm-hmm. practice of the Old Testament religion there, uh, they still had their ideas about what it meant to follow God. And those ideas had to change. And so they needed to repent from them. Even today, Bill, we've got people that never dark, darken the door of a church, but mm-hmm. they think that, oh, you ever ask them, well, uh, how are you going to get into heaven? Well, I just, you know, I think God is going to understand I did the best I can, and he'll pat me on the head and let me into heaven. Well, you know what, pal? That attitude is going to have to change once you hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how good you think you live now. It's never good enough. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, there is a Savior to uh, forgive us, but that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of different things that people need to have a change of mind about when they come to Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Interesting, that attitude, because basically the guy would be saying, this generic person we're talking about, uh, I've got some bargaining power when I get there. I'll let him know I did my best. Right. And there's still, so there's pride and arrogance in there, isn't there? Sure. And there's all kinds of excuses, though. And people, I don't know how seriously they hold them, but at least it holds everybody else off at bay that they don't bug them. Then, you know, you have people who will say, some woman will say, oh, I'm fine with God. My brother's a priest. And it's like, okay, great. You know, so what? What about you? Or they'll say, uh, well, you know, uh, I just think that uh, God lets everybody into heaven because he loves us. We're all his children. Something like, you'll hear one one thing after the other about mm-hmm. people, how they think that somehow they're going to be right with God. Mm-hmm. And so 
Uh, some of it is born out of pride, some of it out of avoidance because they just want to do what they want to do and not be bothered by a God that will hold them accountable to live in a certain kind of a way. So uh, there's multiple kinds of, of, uh, of situations that, uh, that repentance speaks to because all of that, all of those ways of thinking, if we are going to put our trust and dependence in the gospel, all that's got to change. We got to jettison it. We got to kick it loose, and now say, if Jesus' death on the cross doesn't forgive my sins, I'm hung. I have no hope of being right with God. That is a person who is putting their faith and dependence in the gospel. All right here's a question mark. I have trouble reconciling the interpretation of some verses on women's roles and submission in Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. Historically, it has been viewed in ways that limit women's roles in ministry. But how do you as a Bible professor tackle some of those harder verses, especially in our culture and in light of how Jesus treated women? Yeah, this is a good question, and it's all over the place. We've got a lot of people who really love the Lord and follow him and believe the Bible that just aren't able to uh, get on the same page about this. And so I think we need to respect that, Bill, and realize that... uh, Uh, We do the best to interpret the scriptures carefully and let them speak for themselves. We don't want to force some kind of a teaching onto the scriptures and make the scriptures, you know, stand up on its hind legs like some bear in the circus and perform for us. We try to allow the scriptures to speak for themselves and to treat them fairly. And so uh, there's uh, a few passages in the New Testament that talk about this with the role of men and the role of women in the church and also in the home and uh, who is the head of the household and who submits to whom and so forth. And by no means am I going to be able to untangle that whole discussion right. today. Even if we are here for four hours and have pizza, it's still going to leave, have questions unanswered. Don't bring up pizza again. <laughs> the only thing I, I, when I look at you, all I see is deep dish right now. There we go. With yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. So. Maybe some smoked turkey. Yeah. So now you're getting me to th- start thinking about it. <laughs> we got to cut that out. Uh, this is the wrong time of day to be talking about pizza. <laughs> that the truth? It? About an hour before dinner. <laughs> Oh, there's some confessions that might be necessary here. But anyway, yes. uh, that uh, that to me is, uh, I think that we have to, uh, when I start to deal with a divisive issue like this, where sincere Christians have honest differences in the way they interpret things, I like to start out, Bill, by saying, what can we agree on, first of all, mm-hmm. and then build from there the issues that we may have to respectfully disagree with one another. Yeah. And one of the things we can agree on is that both men and women in Christ are equal, that we have equal standing with the Lord. There's no such thing as second-class citizens in the church and in the kingdom of God. And that's just not between men and women. That's between old people and kids. That's between ethnic and racial groups, Mm -hmm. Uh, intelligence, job, social economic status. All of that doesn't mean beans before the Lord. We all are one in Christ. I love the way Paul says it in Galatians 3.28. That's just a great verse for that. And we can agree on that every day of the week. The second thing we can agree on is that in the church that that we are called to minister according to the gifts that God has given us to be able to minister. That, that, that's the way God's equipped us to minister to people in the church. So some people will teach in the church. Others will have the gift of helps where they're just great as a second or third in command and they can get everything done for the person that's mm-hmm. leading the thing, you know, that they're they're supposed to do what they've been given to do. Men and women, 
and everybody has a calling. In fact, I'd like to make the claim that uh, there is far more need out there than any any number of people in the church can meet, uh, that we have overabundant needs out there. So if you've got some gift, exercise it. You'll have an unlimited audience or recipients of the benefit of your gifts. Mm-hmm. You're never going to run out of people to minister to. So. Uh, those, I mean, those kind of common ground things we can get into, and then we can start uh, uh, discussing the things that we may not agree on. All right, Mark Musk is in the studio. We'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. We're going to have my friend Mark Muska in studio. We are asked the professor, let us know what your questions are if we don't get the, to them today. That's because we've had a lot come in. I will uh, keep them on file for next time he's in because it's always great to get great questions. We have great questions from listeners, don't we? It's been good today. They're, yeah, they're been... really thinking as usual. You've got a good audience. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So staying on the, the uh, respect to women's role in leadership positions, another listener has asked, um, what are the guidelines that are provided in Scripture with respect to the role of women in leadership, um, including serving as a lead pastor of a church? Yeah, Uh, this is maybe the crux question when it comes to uh, the role of men and women in, in church leadership. Uh, that uh, the, I, what I'm by, by that bill, I'm saying that this is the one I think that's most important to discuss because the church is is divided on this. Uh, the Bible believing, uh, God loving church. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to deacons and deaconesses, it appears as though both men and women can serve in this role. Of, uh, the word deacon means to serve or to minister, and so uh, based on Paul's writings, and the main place that we look at for this is in what's called Paul's pastoral letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. There's not a lot of teaching in the other books of the New Testament other than in these three about it. And so it appears as though both men and women are able to serve as ministers or servants in the church, deacons. But then there is a role above that that appears to be an oversight role over the entire church. And there's three different terms that appear to be used for the same oversight. Uh, the first word is the word overseer, and sometimes it's translated bishop. Uh, The second word is the word elder, and then the third word is this word pastor. And so these three seem to be relatively interchangeable in the New Testament to describe this oversight over the church as a whole that these leaders have in the church. And the, the issues come up because it appears at first look that Paul is saying that this role of overseer or elder or pastor is one for the men in the church, that women are uh, not to serve in that role. Uh, For example, I'll read for you here in um, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. uh, Paul starts out saying, It's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer or bishop. It is a fine work he desires to do. And then he starts giving the qualifications for an overseer. And he says, An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and so forth. But when he says the husband of one wife, it appears as though 
in Paul's mind, the candidate, the, the field of candidates for this overseer role appears to be men, because he easily could have said just uh, you know married to one person, uh, something like that. But it it, uh, it limits the candidates for this overseer role to men, and then also married men. And then later on, he talks about managing their household well so that he has children and then manages that uh, household well. Uh, that, at face value, is, appears to be where uh, those in the church hold to this idea that when it comes to that oversight over the church as a whole, that this is something uh, for men. Now, the a view that uh, co- counters this uh, sees that uh, this is something uh, that is not uh, taught persuasively in the New Testament, and especially in the world we live in today where women are far more uh, educated in the scriptures, they are far more involved in leadership in the church, that this office or this role should be open to both men and women who uh, the three qualifications that they usually talk about, this second group for someone serving as a pastor, elder, or overseer is that they have the desire to do that. And and Paul just got done saying it. If anybody aspires to be this role, it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So they, they desire to serve in that role. They have the giftedness or the abilities to serve in that role, and they have a sense of calling from God to serve in that role. And so the second group will say if some woman has the the gifts, the calling, and the desire, she should be considered to be an overseer or a pastor in the church, and her sex is irrelevant to this. So uh, those are that's kind of the, the playing field. For mm-hmm. this whole discussion, what's going to be interesting now that hasn't really uh, put itself out there until just the last 10 or 15 years is how is the church then going to respond to uh, homosexuals in the church? Are they going to be welcomed? Homosexual couples, married mm-hmm. couples. How about transgender people that come and are uh, seeking to be involved with the church. Are they qualified for leadership in the church? So I don't know if you realize it, but the whole question just metastasized there to about 20 times bigger than it was before all these issues presented themselves in the world we live in today. And this is a challenge for uh, those who study the Bible, theologians like me. And I have to be honest with you, Bill, I'm still working out my positions in many of those questions. Are you really? Oh, sure. Uh, this is something that uh, it doesn't it doesn't come easy or quickly to be able to to be able to render a teaching in the scripture that is true to the scripture, but also leads to loving people and serving people in the church with a heart of of grace and compassion. That is not easy. And so uh, this uh, the role of men and women, that's almost more of a 20th century kind of issue that was really wrestled with. And now all these other things are presenting themselves. And it's going to be one uh, whale of a challenge for the church to work this out in coming decades here. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of minutes left, Mark, and sure. I want to thank you in advance for being here. Um, this is probably our last question. Can a person know if he or she is or is not abiding in Christ? Yes. In fact, I love that language because that reminds me of First uh, John. That is a, an expression that John uses about a dozen times in his letter. And there are uh, many uh, s- symptoms there of someone abiding in Christ. 
I like to talk about that word abide. It's a stained glass word. We don't hear about it anywhere else but in church. And so uh, people <laughs> mm-hmm. all nod their heads and say, yeah, we should abide in Christ. What does that mean? Well, they don't have any idea, but they know it's something we're supposed to do. The idea of abide means to live or to remain. Uh, do you have an abode? You live there, Bill, right? Mm-hmm. And I you've been there for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're, you're there one day and then someplace else the next. It has the idea of permanence to it. This, this is someone who remains in Christ. Some translations will say this, connected with Jesus, identified with him on a long-term basis, not just in and out, the here and there kind of thing. And John, he gives several symptoms of a person who is abiding in Christ and who Christ abides in them as well. He says, well, that they uh, keep God's commandments, that they love uh, the brotherhood and the sisterhood, and that they uh, exhibit the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. There's about six or seven traits of someone abiding in Christ in the book of First John. So whoever this caller is, I would uh, recommend them to read First uh, John uh, thoughtfully and look for that expression in there. Mark, thank you so much for coming into the studio and sure. talking about pizza, because I know what I'm having for dinner tonight. Hey, hey. Yeah, you brought it up. You started yeah. it, just so you know. Well, pizza, had I get 10% of everything that's <laughs> kicked back here, you know. So <laughs> That wraps up our show. Thank you so much for uh, joining in. Uh, so many great questions today in that made it so uh, entertaining and informative and educational. Thank you so much. And if you missed any of the show today, I'd say go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. You can always hit uh, the show page, Afternoons With Me, and then hear the podcast. I know a lot of people listen to podcasts uh, when they're working out or maybe going to sleep, and they just like to listen then. That's a great time. But thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.